Uh, I am reading from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 3, and then verses 25 to 32 from the New International Version. UK, which I had never seen. Is that a thing? So there you go. Okay. As a prisoner for the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. And then to verse 25. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbour. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer, but must work. Do something useful with their own hands, that they, must have, that they may have something to share with those in need. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. This is the word of the Lord. Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, thank you for your written word. That you speak to us by your Holy Spirit through your word. And this morning we ask for just that. And that you would open our, our hearts, our minds for, to whatever you have to highlight for us this morning. And uh, uh, Lord, we, I just pray that the, uh, the words that I speak would not be my own, would be, uh, would be shaped by you and that as we reflect and as we sit with this, Lord, our, our reflections and our, uh, our response, the response of our heart would be pleasing to you, would be honouring you, that you would uh, shape us and mould us in a way that we glorify you, Lord Jesus, because you're our rock, you're the one who is our focus our true north, the one at the centre. And uh, Lord, we want this morning, we want our lives, we want our community to be all about you. So come have your way, Lord Jesus. We pray in your name. Amen. So from uh, August through to October, we're taking some time to reflect on our core values as a church family. And if you missed the last couple of weeks, our focus was Jesus at the centre. That's our first core value, uh, and that's the title of this series because uh, everything we value is about keeping Jesus central, uh, keeping Jesus the focus. Uh, our other core values, which we move on to now, are really just specific expressions of this, Jesus at the centre. So we're not kind of going, well, we've done that for two weeks, now we put Jesus aside and focus on other important things. Quite the opposite. Uh, I hope... And, and I pray that these statements, which uh, we as a church family developed a few years ago, 
after much conversation and prayer and discussion together uh, um, as a church. Uh, I hope they encourage you and I hope they resonate with you and cause you, uh, for the most part, to go, yes, awesome, but also spur us on and even maybe challenge us a little bit to live them out even more, uh, to go, okay, how do, I, how do we grow in this? Uh, these are core to who we are, but none of them are things we do perfectly either. They're all uh, opportunities to grow and become more Christ-like. Uh, so can this is the question for us, is can we allow God to renew our minds and shape our hearts during this time as a church, as we go on a journey together, which is uh, exciting and scary, and, 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 and we, we lead into the, the time where we become two campuses and all of that? Can, can we allow God to and ourselves to be more focused on what God's doing in us, not what he's trying to do through us? Today and next week, our focus is this. We do life together. This is about authentic relationships. This is about uh, helping us grow in faith, uh, in hope, and in love, in our relationships, in our community, in our, in our one-anothering together, authentic relationships. So for the whole time I've been part of the Billabong family, uh, which is 12 years and almost nine months now, uh, the things people say most consistently within the billabong, about the billabong, uh, when, it, when it comes to what's important to us, what we value, uh, most consistently the words are community, friendship, relationship, connection, uh, any synonym around those things, community, community, community. Uh, and if you have a look through the videos and the photos on our website about the, the history of the Billabong uh, or in our photo gallery, it's not hard to pick this up. There's all this archive of all, the, all these things being done together, journeying together as a family on a shared, with a shared goal. And uh, it's, you know, it's true that strong bonds in hu- human relationships and community form over a shared of uh, a, sense, uh, a shared sense of purpose and trajectory. Uh, when, when people do stuff together, it forms these bonds. And that's been the case through the seasons of the Billabong, from the shed to the tent to off-site to the community centre. Uh, many of you know uh, what this has looked like. And in a sense, uh, any church that doesn't value strong a strong sh- sense of shared life together um, and relationships and community probably has something wrong. <laughs> That's kind of you know essential to church life. But at the same time, for the Billabong, the ideas of being on a journey together through valleys and mountains and and valuing time spent face to face, not just the Sunday worship service. Uh, these have absolutely been core and they've been non-negotiables in our life. We're not just a group of individuals trying to walk with God. We do this life of faith and discipleship to Jesus together. That's core to who we are. But like any community, over time, certain things change and uh, new people join and others leave and what it looks like to do life together today is different to what it looked like five years ago. It's different to what it looked like ten years ago. Uh, we might be doing community and relationship and authenticity with each other well in some respects, but then have to work on it in other respects. Some people experience our church as a loving and a warm and vibrant community. And then others have had the opposite experience. If we're honest, more often than not, it's a bit of each. If you've been around long enough, that's for sure. And that's, that's just the honest reality. 
uh, I don't think we need to under, uh, sort of spend a whole lot of time unpacking why, from a biblical viewpoint, uh, we value doing life together. We value giving attention to authentic relationships. Jesus is really, really clear with his disciples, both in what he taught and what he modelled with his own life. You can't do this life with God alone. Amen? It's just, it's just not an option. There are, for example, 59 one another statements in the New Testament. Right, love one another, be devoted to one another, and brother, honor, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, love one another, love one another, love one another. Like there's a lot, lot of them. Stop passing judgment, accept one another. Most of these are also not gentle suggestions, but direct commands. Do this, love one another, be patient with one another, uh, honor one another. And if there was ever a time that this biblical mandate was important for the body of Christ, it's now. Expressive individualism is the way of life we are constantly pulled into by the culture around us and can only be combated with devotion to one another centred on Jesus. And the, the results of these different ways, an individualistic way or a community and authentic relationships, the results speak for themselves. We live in a time where depression, anxiety, mental health, loneliness, all of this is at record highs. I don't have to tell you all about this. And the church holds the antidote in its hands, Christ-centered relationships. We do life together with Jesus at the center. So I want us to think about this a little this morning and think, what are some of the key principles that help us live this core value through the ups and downs, through the twists and the turns, not just in the easy ways but the challenging ways too? How do we do this? How do we live this out? Do life together. I I googled uh, doing life together just out of interest and um, found this interesting article by a journalist who was talking about how this phrase was trending back in 2019. Well, doing life together, doing life together. It's sort of, you know, on on sort of reality shows and everything. Um, um, But how it also has its roots Potentially, it has its roots in evangelicalism, uh, this you know, kind of language that's created in the church. Um, if you think about it, we do life. Is that, you know, anyway. But she finished the article with this, in, re, I found really interesting few sentences and said, can we ward off loneliness with a mug of hot coffee or a conference ticket, even with the perfect Instagram post? No, because the most satisfying kinds of relationships are generally not for sale. Doing life together can remain a hollow phrase unless we make the words mean something. She had her own perspective on what it meant to make the words mean something. But there is, of course, guidance and advice all over the New Testament in this regard. And we could go in all sorts of places, but I felt like Ephesians 4, letter of, uh, a part of the letter of Paul to the church in Ephesus and the surrounding regions, is one of the most uh, to-the-point passages on this topic. And so we read part of Ephesians 4 this morning. I want to uh, highlight a few things from that. First of all, uh, Paul uh, makes it really clear that our relationships with each other 
are completely intertwined with our relationship with God. It's not this sort of um, vertical relationship here, uh, uh, us and Jesus, and then over here we've got horizontal relationships, if you like. It's you know, us with each other, and the sort of two are separate. Think of a cross that they're intertwined, they're connected deeply. Uh, and he, he shows that in a number of ways. First of all, connects God's calling with human relationships. I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What does that mean? Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. God's call on your life, often thought about as like the the individual thing God has for me, it cannot be disconnected from your patience, patience, gentleness, and bearing with other Christians, our horizontal relationships. He says things like keep the unity of the spirit. That's a spiritual thing. But how? Through the bond of peace. That's a human relationship thing. Jesus, of course, uh, said things like, what you do to this group of people, this specific, you do to me. How you treat them is how you treat me. It's like there's this complete intertwining of human relationships and relationship with God, the vertical and the horizontal. Paul goes on later to say, we, we read this this morning, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Imagine that, you can grieve the Holy Spirit when talking about building uh, one another up and not tearing down is what Paul's referring to. Don't, don't neglect these things and, and, and thereby grieve the Spirit, not just others. Not only that, but on the flip side, do not give the devil a foothold. How? By leaving things unresolved in a relationship with someone. How inter- I, I was just amazed looking at this going, it's all over it, intertwinedness of the spiritual life with our relationships with each other. And, and I guess this is because, well, I don't guess, this is because the imprint of God is upon us. Uh, that's another way of, um, of saying that the, we are made in the image of God. Right, very beginning of the Bible, his imprint, his image is upon us, and God is a community. If you're new to church and, and faith, you go, well, what does that mean? God is God. No, God is three persons. Not there's three gods. God is a community, a family, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in perfect and complete unity with each other. This is God. And the doctrine of the Trinity is what I'm talking about, is so central And so important to Christianity now more than ever because it ensures that we never descend into this quasi-Christian individualistic faith where my relationship with God comes primarily through the podcasts I listen to and the handful of people who reinforce my particular thinking. But it's intertwined with our, our, our walking with each other. Getting away from this sort of quasi-church I create on my YouTube channel and my YouTube subscriptions. Being a disciple of Jesus is to do life together with other Christians. It's so intertwined. Uh, And it's not to say that God isn't capable of revealing his love to people on his own. God is so able to transform a life, an individual, in 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 all sorts of extraordinary ways. He can speak profoundly, can do miracles, you name it, however he wants, whenever he wants. And yet I don't think I can name a single example where I've seen God move powerfully in my life or someone else's life that hasn't involved another believer. 
I challenge you to think about that. Have you seen that? Maybe on the odd occasion, but often it's through the community of faith. It, it really is how God chooses to do most of his miraculous and life-transforming and life-giving work through broken vessels, right? through imperfect people. Uh, and we may, I hope, hear some examples of this next week when a few of our members share uh, this is what we're doing during this time. Um, I'll share one week in the following week, we'll have some of you share. Uh, it's just amazing that when individuals and group of, groups of people commit to do life together, it's like God steps into the middle of that. When it's centred on Jesus, he comes in and, it, and, and rather than just being, I mean, everybody understands in the world like connection and relationship and belonging is powerful. You know, a lot of organisations are picking up on this and, and, and trying to go, we really, really need this to combat individualism. But in the context of centred around Jesus, God steps in and supercharges how transformative and healing and, and, and life-bringing these relationships can be. And uh, I mentioned that there's a reason we've chosen a particular colour for each of the values and chose the sort of the purple um, because I don't know if this is right, but in my mind that represents holiness and there's something about relationship and doing life with each other that's actually really holy. It's not just about humanity. It's actually about the, the presence and the holiness of God among us. So that's the first thing is that there's this intertwinedness. But, of course, this takes a lot of effort, doesn't it? Every effort, Paul would say. Make every effort. Keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. It's, uh, it's going against the grain. It's swimming upstream. Uh, it's not necessarily difficult and, and challenging because we don't naturally value relationships and friendships. We all understand we need that. But this intertwinedness of loving God and others means uh, something deeper. It means that we have to have the heart of Christ for others, the heart of Christ for brothers and sisters in Christ, for others in the church. Uh, what do I mean by that? Um, there's a book I read recently by Dane Ortland called Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. Brilliant, masterful book about uh, the heart of Jesus. Basically just displaying in this book the depths of Christ's love for, for people. All people, no matter how flawed, no matter how disobedient and messed up, Jesus says, come to me, I am gentle and lowly in heart. He's always totally caring, totally and deeply loving to all. Incredible grace. I, on the other hand, I don't know about you, but I, I tend to have a, a tendency to care for those that it's easy for me to care for, to love those it's easy for me to love, and assume that someone else will care for the other people. They'll get along with them just fine. I'll just stick to, to my lane. Uh, those ones, the difficult. I'll, I'll Authentic community is easy. Doing life together is easy so long as we get along. But the heart of Christ is a much deeper and gentler and compassionate and selfless love that reaches beyond just where we're comfortable. And Paul in Ephesians is clearly not writing to a church that's still in its honeymoon period, like in Acts chapter 2. They were all completely united with each other. Well, isn't that great? Because they've been going this journey for three days. No, he's talking to a church down the road who are starting to recognize that we are saved people but still unsanctified people. God is continuing to do a work with us. And he says, bear with one another in love. 
Now, you don't have to say that about your best friends too often, who you just get along like a house on fire, bear with them, right? Maybe your spouse. Oh, come on, let's be real. <laughs> no, 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 this, this bear with one another in love, this is about the person three rows behind you who has weird theology. Or the raging extrovert who doesn't let you or anyone else get a word in. Or if we can you know, be real, the person who said something to you or around you that deeply hurt and they don't even realise. Which is actually how every one of us has treat, treated Jesus. We don't even realise the depths of what we've done, which has hurt and, and pierced his heart. We can only do this kind of love when we catch the heart of Christ for us and for others. It's not natural. It's radical humility. It comes from getting a revelation of how truly sacrificial his love is for us. But it's also formed through proactive choices. Paul doesn't just say, look, just spend lots of time with Jesus and you'll sort of work it out from there. He gets specific and says, this is how it looks. For example, do not let any unwholesome talk come out from your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs. Another one back in verse 2, be patient. (laughs) I mean, that one takes a lifetime to learn, right? Work doing something useful with your own hands that you may have something to share with those in need. Life of generosity towards each other. None of these are easy. And loving brothers and sisters in Christ who we don't see eye to eye with, that may be one of the greatest challenges of our time. Everything from the online world to politics to the American influence on the West to postmodernism, it's all created a polarization that is constantly calling us to do what? Choose a side. Are you here or are you here? Us and them is so normal now that even the local gelato shop that I walked past the other day had a thing on it. Their advertising on the side of the building was a picture of fake strawberry syrup and then a picture of a real strawberry and it simply said, them, us. You know, we we use the real stuff because it's so normal and so common to just go, it's us or them. Pick a side. Who you with? Because if you're our friends, you're their enemies or vice versa. Are we going to live by a different narrative? Not taking sides. I'm reformed, I'm this, I'm evangelical, Pentecost. Are we going to live by a different narrative? Learning to have the heart of Christ for each other, not picking sides. Do we care about each other genuinely? It's, it's easy to assume someone else will care for the other ones, the other people, the them. But life together isn't about the easy road, it's the road of humility and of sacrifice. In Ephesians, Paul is... As I mentioned when we shared communion before, he's addressing Christians in a divided culture, Jews and Greeks, different worldviews, different goals, ideologies, and he says you've been reconciled in Christ. And he says this astounding thing, you, the reconciled people of the cross, are the temple of God. 
Now, this was not just a nice Jewish reference, meaning that, that somehow God dwells among you. Many of us understand, okay, the temple, the place where God dwelt. But this was more than that. Ephesus was the home of the great temple of Artemis in the Greek culture, one of the seven wonders of the world, the place people gathered and chanted for two hours straight. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. Great is Artemis of the Ephesians. When Paul came in with this message about this Jewish rabbi, uh, they went to the temple and shouted this in opposition. The idea of temple was powerful for a minority community because nobody in that region and in that context was saying that this faith in a crucified Jewish man is going to last. No, that, that's going to fizzle off. The great temple of Artemis, one of the seven wonders of the world, that is what's going to last through the ages. That's where the future is. This is where greatness is. And Paul says, you reconciled to each other through the love of Christ. You are the temple. This is what lasts. This is where God dwells. This is what changes the world. And so don't be like the culture. Be reconciled. Ever since sin entered the world, we've experienced brokenness in relationships. Community and relationships without Jesus at the centre so often still end up with pain, hurt, broken trust. The gospel is that Jesus came not just to mend the broken relationship with God caused by doing things our own way, but to heal the world, including human relationships. In the garden, it wasn't just a breakdown of relationship with God, but it was also a breakdown between Adam and Eve. Blame kicked in. She did it. He did it. Jesus came to bridge the chasm between us and God but in doing so also paved the way for the brokenness in our relationships to be healed as well. And he demonstrated all through his life and ultimately demonstrated on the cross what it is that brings healing to the brokenness on earth among us that's existed since the fall, and that is forgiveness. And that's why I want to suggest there's one thing that must mark our relationships with each other. One thing that if it's missing from our community, our friendship, our life together, will always fall short. Forgiveness, grace, mercy. If forgiveness is missing from our relationships, even a little, we will all suffer as a community. Doing life together with Jesus at the centre means relationships marked by consistent and radical forgiveness and grace, void of bitterness and resentment and grudges. Get rid of all bitterness, Paul says, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. I've been sitting with this all week and, and, and wrestling with how to, what to say, but I want to make it like a bold statement. And... Uh, and, and if this only applies to, if this doesn't apply to anyone and it doesn't, it, we're all good here, then that's great. But just in case we need, to, we need to work on this, I want to say this. Our growth, our health, our vibrancy uh, as a church 
in every sense, uh, not just the numbers or the atmosphere, but the quality of our faith, the impact of our witness, the power of our love, all of this, the overall health of our church family will always be indirectly proportionate to the bitterness, resentment and unforgiveness in the hearts of our members. I think I've used the right language there. Indirectly proportionate, meaning the more of one, the less of the other. We hold on to grudges, bitterness, resentment, and and we don't thrive. We don't see the life that God has for us. There's something spiritual, even supernatural, I would say, about unforgiveness, about bitterness uh, that a human being holds on to. I would go so far as to say it can have a physical impact on the room that a person is in. I actually think there are, this is just a theory, I think there are some Sunday mornings in this room that there is a greater freedom and lightness and sense of God's presence in comparison to other Sundays. And there's no logical explanation for that. It, it, there's, you know, the music's the same, the message is the same, I pretty much preach the same thing every week anyway. Uh, the only viable explanation is that some of us are carrying something and it's like a repellent to the spirit and the presence of God. And you and I could sit in the back row or the front row, the side row, week after week after week and not say anything to anyone, just smile and sing the songs and listen to the sermon, but are holding a grudge towards a brother or sister and we think it's, oh, it's not really affecting anyone else, yet it's actually changing the whole atmosphere of the room and the, and, and the, sense, and, and the life of our community. The good news is that the opposite is true. When brothers and sisters gather for an ordinary uh, time of worship and fellowship and there's different opinions and there's different personalities and passions, but there's a grace towards each other and there's a humility and there's no holding on to the thing that someone did or said. There's seeking and and giving forgiveness in everything. When that spirit is present, God can move mightily. And so I want to plead with you this morning whether you're a leader or whether you're someone who sits in the back or someone who serves or whatever it is, what you carry in your heart towards every other person in this room matters. And so I want to plead with you if there's an unresolved tension, if there's a feeling of resentment, a grudge, something in there, then deal with it. Let it go. Choose to forgive. Speak to someone. Speak to the person if needed. You've probably heard the saying that unforgiveness is like trying to poison someone but getting poisoned yourself, right? But in Christian community, it's not just you that's being poisoned. It's everyone else around you. Your life, Paul says, is not your own. You were bought at a price. Now that verse is talking about not engaging in immorality, uh, but it's as Paul reminds his friends, you're part of a body, you're part of a community, and you with them are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So what you carry in your body and your spirit, it affects the whole. Can we choose to do life together in a real, authentic way and let grace and mercy and forgiveness define our life together so that Jesus is glorified and we are edified? You know, I've done more stupid things than I can count as the pastor of this church (laughs) in 10 years. I've had to say sorry more times to different people than I thought I would have to do in a lifetime. 
and there's quite possibly things I don't know I've done, I haven't recognised or contributed to, which will yet require more apologies. But one of the saddest things for me in the last 10 years being here has been seeing people leave knowing they left with unresolved breakdown of relationship, bitterness or unforgiveness. And it's felt easier to go than to forgive. That's, that's really hard to see. I honour those of you who have stayed. Even if you've been hurt, disappointed, or felt disconnected in some way. I honour you. But holding on to that whilst staying is no way to live either. I pray you would hand it over to God today. And if it's needed to talk with someone, with myself or, or, or a leader or whoever it needs to be about how you're feeling and, and what it is that's been poisoning you and, and maybe even poisoning those around you. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander along with every form of malice, every form. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other. And here's the key. We can only do this because Christ, in Christ, God forgave you. So, Father, we thank you that we, uh, we can't, whilst we can't do this on our own, you have forgiven us of much, more than we could possibly realise. Uh, the depths of our, our sin are... Um, If we really knew, we would, we would wonder how there could possibly be a forgiveness great enough. And yet this is the grace and the mercy that you hold in your heart, Lord Jesus. And only when we receive this and when we get a knowledge of this and a revelation of this do we then have the capacity by your spirit dwelling within us to let go of all bitterness and resentment, grudges, malice, stuff we're holding towards other believers. I pray, Lord, you would do a healing work in us as we allow your forgiveness to flow through us, broken vessels, but channels of your spirit, your love. In Jesus' name we pray.